0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org.
1: The scripture reading this morning is from Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to you or bring to completion all the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You may be seated. If you're in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to the children's church, please join our volunteers by the Kids zone sign.
0: First time that time. It didn't pull off my earpiece. It's going to be a good morning, folks. Um, If you're new here, my name is Jared Huffman. I'm pastor here at Restoration Southside, and we're so glad that you're here with us. If you're joining us online, we welcome you as well. We have finished our study in Ecclesiastes. It's this book that was poking holes in anything that we would find meaning in, essentially work or wealth or wisdom or pleasure, and it was saying ultimately this can't fill you up it can't make you enough it can't give you enough meaning which was actually very timely as we're all looking for comfort in the midst of a pandemic pandemic it's very timely to be reminded that these things that comfort us aren't ultimately enough now we turn our attention to the book of Philippians and it'll be an encouragement to us as well the whole point of the book of Philippians is to find joy in the midst of suffering And we know that you, particularly in your own story, have suffered over the last six months. Whether it's things that have gone on in your family, whether it's the way that our world is at large, we know that it has been a difficult season. Depression is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. It is a hard time to be alive. And yet it's this beautiful book that we find Philippians, the author of it, Paul, he's actually writing this letter from prison. If anybody had uh, reason to be discouraged about what was going on in his life, it was Paul. He was trapped in a prison. In a prison back then, he would have been chained to two guards, and he only got food if people sent it to him. They wouldn't have provided that for him. Paul, who's in prison, writes this letter to a church that he planted 800 miles away. And they're the ones who are discouraged with one another. They're the ones who are fighting amongst themselves. And Paul here in prison is the one with joy. It's here that he helps us to understand that joy does not come from our circumstances. It comes from something else. So I encourage you, let's pray together. We'll dive in and study God's word together. Please pray with me. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and I praise you for your Holy Spirit. We ask that you would encourage us this morning. We're weary of this season of life. Weary of not being able to gather in the ways that we used to. We're weary that we don't have the same comforts that we're used to. We see it in strife in our marriages and angry parenting discouragement at work, or not being able to find work. There's so much that is wrong with this world. We ask that you would move powerfully among us to help us find where joy really lies. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. There was a study in 2003, so this is 17 years ago. This is not brand new, but a study in 2003 which sort of uh, explored how one could make themselves happy. How one could make themselves happy. Emmons and McCullough split people, their test groups, into three different groups. So one side of the test group, they would say, you, we want you to write down five things that you were grateful for that happened over the last week. Five things that you're grateful for. Group two, they took and they said, we want you to write down five frustrations or five... Um, things that didn't quite go right. We want to write those down at the end of each week. We want you to keep track of them. And then the third group was the control group, and they said you could write down just any five events that happened over the last seven days. Could be good, could be bad. Just, we just want you to track them. So that's, that's how they broke down the test groups. And here's what happened. Essentially, after 10 weeks, results showed that the participants in the gratitude group, listen to this, Felt better about life. Were more excited about the coming week. And experienced fewer symptoms of physical illness. Fewer symptoms of physical illness. Meaning practicing 10 weeks of gratitude not only makes you feel uh, happier inside and more hopeful for the future. But you actually end up being healthier physically for it. What this... study shows is the same thing that Paul is pointing us towards is that it's not actually our circumstances which bring us happiness that's why COVID has been devastating but it's also been eye-opening is the things that we use to make us happy have been ripped away from us and we think since we don't have those anymore we can't be happy as if happiness comes from the outside inward and Paul is saying this as he's saying when you live this life of gratitude when you live this life of being very aware of the things in your immediate past and distant past which were wonderful that will fuel your confidence in the present and your hope for the future. But that's not how we live. I mean, think of it. Think about your particular life. Isn't there something in your particular world that you were like, if I could just get this, then I would be happy. If I could just get a down payment for a home, then I would be more happy. If I could just find a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a fiance, then I would be happy. If I could just have a baby of my own, then I would be happy. If I could finally have a job that was uh, more uh, beautiful, more fun, more life-giving, then then I'd really be happy. But if you're honest with yourself, you recognize that that is just one thing of many things that you've listed in your life that is keeping you from being happy. One thing of many things that you've listed in your life that is keeping you from being happy. And Paul says, if you want to experience meaning and joy, you look backwards. You look backwards. So let's look together at our text and see the different things that he points us to to experience real life. Glance with me in verses 3, 4, and 5. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's demonstrating for them that he has a life of gratitude. Now, these people are in turmoil because two of the women in the church, in particular, are fighting, and there are people who feel like, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks, but the people who feel like they kind of need to take sides with those two women. And so there's tension among them, and they're worried about Paul. They're Discouraged about how things are going for the church. And so even though they're a delight to Paul, they're they're in turmoil. And yet Paul is chained to two different people. And he's 800 miles away from them. And he writes with joy. And the joy comes from the fact that he's living in gratitude. He's grateful for this church. He's grateful for the Lord's kindness to him. He acknowledges that to live a meaningful life, he has to regularly look backwards. When we were trying to teach our kids how to pray at first, as all, when they were praying, it was just, God, please give me this, please give me new toys, please let me win my soccer game, please help me to have fun at school, please give me, give me, give me, give me. And we started to realize we are teaching them, even if it's accidentally, that what we what the meaning of life is out there and getting the stuff that you don't have experiencing the things that aren't there yet and we realized it was setting them up for a lifetime of discontentment and so we began to practice the art of gratitude. Lord, please, that we thank you that you love us. We thank you that Daddy has a job. We thank you for our family members. We thank you that we have a house. We thank you that we have a church and friends and a school. And now my kids rehearse that over and over again. It's this sense that if you remind yourself what God has already done for you, you will be less prone to get overwhelmed about the present needs and the future unknowns. So let me ask you, how are you practicing gratitude? How are you rewriting the conversation of your heart to focus it on what God has already given you? Weren't there times in your life when you looked up and thought, I'm not going to make it through this season. It's too discouraging. Or this addiction is too bad. Or my family's hurting too much. I'm not going to make it through. And friends, you're still here. You're still here that God has sustained you and he's encouraged you and he's lifted you up and he's brought you to this place. And Paul's saying, make a habit of that. Look back and be grateful. One of the things that really helped our marriage two years ago when Aaron and I were really struggling is I'd find myself in my car driving around and I'd be rehearsing things about her that were frustrating for me. I know it's hard to imagine, but she really does have things that are frustrating for me. And I started this thing where I was encouraged by somebody to say, every time you think of something negative or frustrating for you about your spouse, remind yourself of five things that you love about them, that is unique to them that nobody else in your life has. And it just began to fill my heart with this gratitude, this sense of yes, but she's wonderful and she's beautiful and she's my wife and she's an incredible mother and she's brilliant and she's fun. And when you go home and you've been rehearsing in your heart how wonderful the thing is you already have, it brings you joy. Then happiness isn't then found on the outside. It's experienced in what you're currently living Gratitude will reshape your heart. It will change the conversation of your life. So let me ask you, what in your life are you saying, my life will finally get better when I have this? Get into the practice of thinking like, my heart and my life are such a blessing to me because God has already given me this. Gratitude destroys discontentment. Gratitude destroys discontentment. And it also fuels joy. It fuels joy. Hear it in verse 4. He says, I thank my God in 3, and he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Gratitude is filling Paul with joy. He could be thinking, I'm stuck here in a prison chained to these two dudes and the church that I'm trying to help is 800 miles away and they're fighting about something that they shouldn't be fighting about. But instead of basing his life and his feelings on what isn't going right, he is grateful for them. He is grateful that they've sent money. He is grateful that they've sent him someone to encourage him. He is grateful that they still believe the gospel. And it fuels him with joy. It's one of the main themes of this entire letter is that Paul is going to walk us through the idea that joy comes from the inside out, not from the outside in. What are you looking for in your life to bring you joy that's on the outside? Let me ask you, do you really think it'll be enough? Do you think it'll be the one thing in the history of time where you're like, oh, that's it, I don't need anything else? It's gratitude for what he's already done for you. Gratitude. And gratitude builds partnership. He's talking in here and he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, they've sent him money. This, they've, they've encouraged him. They've sent him the food that he needs to be in this house prison. Meaning they're making Paul's problems their problems in Philippians. And that's how we become more connected as a church is that we make each other's problems our problems. We make the problems of this city our problems. It's that we become partners with people in their struggles and their discouragement. I was at a church planting conference on Friday and it's all the church planters around from Knoxville to Chattanooga. And essentially you'd think it's sort of each person comes and shares their own story and there's this possibility of, oh wow, look how many they have over here. or Look what they're doing over here. And you'd think that it would have this Uh, potential to be full of envy and instead of that we're just sitting there smiling at the work each other are doing I'm so glad that we're in this together I'm so glad you know what it's like to bear the burdens that I bear you see when you're partners with people in ministry it begins to take away the envy and fill you with joy what would it mean for us to partner well in ministry in this city we see Paul is modeling for them gratitude, which fuels him with joy. But he also models confidence. Look with me in verse six. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of jesus christ he who began a good work in you will complete it will bring it to completion at the day of christ now i know that some of you who have encountered christ and put your trust in him and have begun walking that path of following jesus have looked up at some point and said i think i may be getting worse i think the things that i thought i would lay down and never look up at again instead i'm still in the throes of them The sufferings and the struggles that I thought would have gone quickly into the background, they're still on the front burner. Yes, I'm glad I'm saved. Yes, I'm glad that Jesus loves me. But how in the world am I supposed to sustain this, to maintain this? And what Paul is saying to this church who needs to be encouraged is he's saying, you can have confidence that God will be faithful to you. Paul is saying that in the midst of prison. Instead of thinking, I don't know, what if this was all for nothing? Here I am locked in prison, and my churches are losing their confidence. Instead of Paul being so overwhelmed at the negative stuff that happened, Paul is actually reminding them that I am sure he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is saying Jesus has come. He has given, he has given himself to save your life have given the Holy Spirit to sustain you, to encourage you. He's regenerated your heart. He answers your prayer requests. He walks alongside you and gives you what you need. And he's saying, in light of all of that, why would you worry about the present or the future? Paul is saying, I'm confident that the one who did all of this, that he's committed to you for the present and the future. It's honestly one of the things that would stand out to us and change us as the people of God if we could walk around with confidence. You see, we put our confidence in our behavior. I'm either doing well for Jesus, obeying, staying away from bad stuff and doing good stuff so I'm confident or my confidence is shattered because I messed up and did something I shouldn't have done last night or I ran back to an old idol I shouldn't have run back to. Our confidence wavers because we're putting in how well we're doing or how poorly we're doing. And he's saying is don't put your confidence in yourself at all. Put your confidence in the one who started this whole thing. But what about my doubts? What about the doubts I still have about God? God will complete it. God will bring it to completion. What about these sins that I can't get rid of, that I can't let go of? God will bring bring it to completion. What about all the difficult things we've been through as a young church? God will bring it to completion. What he's saying is that you're free to take your eyes off of your own hands and confidence that just that you didn't do anything to rescue yourself from your sin, God himself has committed all of his resources and his Holy Spirit to make sure that your salvation will be complete so that you can live with confidence. Confidence. So Paul is saying joy comes from the inside out of recognizing you can look backwards and be reminded of how God is taking care, for, care of you and that can give you confidence about the present and the future. And he says this with this sweet relationship. Look in verse 7. It's right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's saying, I love y'all. I know that I'm in prison and I know that you're struggling, but I love y'all. And it's right for us to encourage each other because we're in this together. And then he shares his desire for them as a church. Look with me in verses 9 through 11. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What he's saying is the thing that I want most for you, church, that's 800 miles away and not locked in prison, is that people would know you by your love. Did you hear it? My prayer for you that your love may abound more and more. Not that you would be known for these conflicts and who you line up with, but instead that you would be known for your love. It's my desire for this church. It's that whoever would walk through these doors or drive their car up to this place whether they were feeling discouraged or overwhelmed or anxious or a little lost, that they would know that when you get near those people, you will be loved regardless of what your story is, regardless of what your suffering is, regardless of what your sin is, is that when you're near those people, they will love you. They may not understand every single thing about you, but they'll try, they'll listen, and they will learn and they will love you. He wants them to be known for loving one another. that is not the reputation of the church at large the church is known for a place to fight to show off to be superior and he's saying what if your reputation was that of love and then he wants them too to have knowledge and discernment he wants them to know how to be used of God it says it in here your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment So that you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's saying, I want you to love and I want your holiness, your behavior to show that you're trying to understand who God is and what his plan is for your life. He wants you to have purity. And that purity just isn't for purity's sake. Look in verse 11. Pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, the purity isn't so that we can feel so clean, we can feel so good, we can begin to feel superior to others that oh, at least we're not like the rest of the world. That's the opposite of the point. The point is that we would be so holy, so uh, passionate in our pursuit of God, is that it would be a blessing to those who don't know, not a curse. That's why he uses this idea of fruit. It's the same picture in Psalm 1 where the tree gets mature and deeply planted and it provides fruit. A tree doesn't provide fruit for itself to eat. The whole point of the maturity of a tree is that it would bless others. And that's what he's saying is that you would love each other, that you would grow in purity and fruitfulness so that others would know who Jesus is. We were not saved just from something. We were saved for something too. Not just saved from something, but saved for something. We were not saved so that we could sit around and say, wow, it's great that we're saved. We were saved so that we could go out and bear fruit for others, be a blessing to the city, so that people would know we exist for the flourishing of others in God's glory. So he's saying to us, gratitude will fill your life with joy. Looking at how God has already cared for you will fill you with joy. He said you can live in confidence that God who began a good work in you, count on it, he will finish it. And that we could live lives of love because we're in this together. We're in the business of blessing and flourishing others not drawing attention to ourselves there's a show that's no longer on the air called extreme home makeover i don't know if you've seen this show ty was the star of the show it's the one where they'd be like move that bus Well, the show is phenomenal and so encouraging you'd be sitting there watching this construction show and you're like this is pretty great and a few minutes later you're like it's just so powerful But Ty would always have this special room in the house, that it was just for Ty. Everybody's working on everything else in the house, and Ty's building this special room for whatever particular family it was and whatever their story was, Ty is building this thing. And they would normally go and find families that were families in need or families with a difficult story or maybe families with child with special needs. And so it would be this, this family you really wanted to see blessed, And Ty is sort of running the show and he's getting the rest of the house rebuilt and everything's kind of coming together but he's getting further and further behind on doing the Ty room. And you feel yourself tightening up even though you've seen these episodes and you know for sure he's going to get it done. You feel yourself tightening up because there's only 12 hours left and the lumber's not even there and we're... And then they do that move that bus and you see this thing that was dilapidated and broken and and looked sort of without a future and they move the bus and you see something that's been made new it's been restored it's it's glorious and then they walk you through the house and they show you that sure enough just in time ty finished the project and it's ready for the kid and as many times as you see the show you can have confidence ty is going to get it done Part of that is because no one wants to watch a show called We Almost Built You a House. And Part of that is because you know Ty will get it done. He will stay up all night. He will do whatever is necessary that Ty will not stop until your home is rebuilt, until what was ugly is made beautiful, until what was old is made new. And what Paul is saying to you as friends, regardless of how you feel, God will get it done. In your sin and in your suffering, in your good times and in your hard times, in the points where you're faithful and the times that you're completely unfaithful, it says, it's not on you. He who began a good work in you, he will get it done. Imagine if we, as God's people, walked around living a life of gratitude, of look at how much Jesus has already done for me. I don't have to be so anxious anymore. He's been so good in the past. I know he will get it done in the present in the future. And we can embody that confidence for others. Our God will get it done. Let's pray. Father, we are so tempted to look at the things that we don't have yet. And pray instead that you would teach us through this study about gratitude, basking in light of what's already been given for us. That it would fuel our joy and it would fuel our confidence in you. It'll fuel our love for others. God, would you make us the kind of people who are bringing blessing and life to others instead of curse and judgment. Would you cause us to live lives of joy because we know that you have been faithful to us in the past and we are certain of your faithfulness to us now and in the future. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.